Welcome back to the Stock Market Options Trading Podcast, also known as SMOT. My name is Eric, and in this episode, I had the pleasure of bringing back David Sun to talk about his S&P 500 option trading strategies. Now, you may remember David from about a year ago, I had him on the show. This was episode 21. I think it was February last year. And it's been a while and the market seems to be changing its nature here in the beginning of 2022. So I thought it would be a good idea to catch up with David on how he's adjusting, if he's adjusting uh, his trading strategies heading into this new year. So for those that don't know, David was a Tasty Trade rising star. He's been on a segment there a couple times, I believe. And he's really kind of shined as an index option trader. And he's you know more than willing to share all of his information. And he does this on his podcast. After listening to this episode, you may want to go check out his podcast called The Trade Busters. You can get that in Apple, Spotify, all the places. So The Trade Busters is David's podcast. So if you like what you hear today, or you will go back to listen to episode 21 of my podcast, I think uh, you'll be interested in some of the other things he's putting out. Now, before we get started, you should know David and I are not financial advisors and everything on this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered financial advice. And real quick, if you could take 23 seconds and leave a review for the podcast, I would really appreciate it. Leaving a five-star review, it really helps the show in the podcast world. So if you find this show helpful or useful in any way, leaving a review is a simple way to let me know that you want more and you want more episodes like this. All right, now let's get into my conversation with David and we're starting right now. All right, David Sun, welcome back to the podcast. It's good to see you. How have you been, man? I've been good. Last year ended on a high note. This year starting not on a, such a good note, but you know, it's it's early, one month. Yeah. Um, although unless you believe that saying, you know, as January goes, so does the year. So something like that. I'm probably butchering it, but yeah, hopefully yeah. not. We'll see. Hopefully that adage doesn't hold this year. Yeah, it's it's definitely been a a, a rough uh start to the year. And just for some context to the listeners, um, you know, the market, we're in the midst of a 10, 10% pullback in the SPX and, or, you know, in the uh, overall market here. And so I wanted to get David on because, um, you know, it's been almost a year since we did our last podcast. And so for me, that's episode 21 on my show. And, uh, you know, we, we kind of went through some of our strategies there. We're not going to get too detailed in those strategies today. Before we get into our discussion, I want to congratulate you on your podcast, sure, uh, the, the Trade Busters. I see that you're at episode 47. I'm a little behind. I haven't listened to all of them, but um, how is that going? I mean, it seems like you just churned them out. I think you have more episodes than mine, and I started my podcast. <laughs> like I'm, I'm, I'm a slower podcast putter outer, but um, but it seems like you really churned some things out, and there's a lot of thought into there. So how 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 did you kind of put that together? And, you know, you got to be pretty organized to get those thoughts out. How, how's that going? Um, I would say it's the opposite of organized. This was more <laughs> just my outlet um, and the medium I used to do kind of my brain dump. Um, when we talked um, in February, you know, I've been doing my strategies. I mentioned my trading page. It was kind of a mess, a hodgepodge. You know, I have different option strategies. It was posting on these Google Sheets kind of things. And I don't know if I mentioned at the time, but I was kind of writing these essays um, on different yeah. topics, but it was slow for me to put them out because like, for some reason, you know, I, I can talk for an hour nonstop or, you know, five hours nonstop about options. It was just hard to write. So for some yeah. reason, I got the idea if I do a podcast, it's just, I can talk and it's just easier because kind of express what I'm thinking. I don't have to try so hard and make the words perfect. Um, and then there was, um, I'm using Anchor FM and it's just like a free podcast um, yeah. software. And 
you know, they, they make it, you just upload the file and hit publish, you know, and then push it out to all the different distributors. And so it was super easy. And it was really just, again, again, just uh, my medium of choice that I changed to, to do my brain dump. So it, it's not organized. It's not a regular schedule. You know, I was doing at one point, one episode a day for like a week. So it'd be like a bunch of them and it'll be like two weeks in between. And then like this last month, I haven't done any because I've been busy with like in the year. So for the fund auditing and just transitioning and a bunch of that. So I'm, I'm planning to put something out you know, at the end of this month, hopefully, and start back up again. But, you know, it just kind of fits and starts. And again, <laughs> the, the opposite of organized, I would say. But otherwise, it's been good. The, the yeah. response it's always like that in the back end. Like my, mine's the same yeah. way. I, um, I, well, and I, you know, I started a podcast too. I, I used to try to write articles. Um, I, I posted on Medium for a little bit. And, and writing is just doesn't come naturally. I'm more of a talker. Yeah, um, because I ramble, and I think podcasts gives me gives us some leniency to sort of ramble and sidestep, and I don't have to organize. And I, you know, I, I'm just it, it, that medium writing was not not for me either. I think it's definitely easier to uh, talk about some of this stuff, and at the same time, you know, ha- you, you know, you have your trading page, which kind of people can go back to. Uh, is that the tradebusters.com? Is that still? Yeah, yeah, the tradebusters.com, yeah. which again, it brings you to a Google Sheets thing. So don't think like, yeah, you got, it's not like a scam page. It's that's just yeah. how it's been. I, I've talked about making website, I never did. It just and just keeps growing, but yeah. you know what? It works for now. So, yeah, you know, it's funny about that is I think, um, I think because you have the podcast, I think people are smart enough now to see the guise of good information versus how pretty something is. And, you know, you can get these out of the box templates with WordPress and, you know, Wix and all these things. And, um, and they look really awesome, but it doesn't necessarily mean the content's going to be good. So uh, I definitely recommend everybody go check out the Trade Busters podcast. Um, it is an Apple. I know you mentioned Anchor FM, which I think they- Yeah, pushes out Spotify, pushes out Google Spotify, Podcasts, or- Rocket Podcasts, whatever else there is, but yeah. Yeah, definitely on Apple as well. And, and one thing I've, for all the ones that I've listened to, what I like about your podcast is, is they're evergreen, which is something that I try to do with mine. And what that means is that you can go back and listen to them in six months, in a year. It's not, it's, it's not like, okay, here's what the market's doing now. And then that episode gets old. So it's really some evergreen content. If you want to go back and sort of review some of the mechanics of trading, which I, I'm, I'm assuming you're still kind of elaborated on tasty trade mechanics. Um, right. You still kind of go that route. Are you still in that realm of uh, tasty trade mechanics, you know, net selling and all that? Yeah, net selling. And, and some of that, um, it, again, it, it's a hodgepodge now because again, just whatever I think of at the, at the time. And some of it, like you said, is definitely evergreen. My kind of thoughts on just general principles, trading, psychology, trading philosophy, there's some stuff where it was kind of following the trajectory of my research. So I started in July and around that time I was evolving the strategy pretty quickly. So almost every episode, there was something kind of changing about the mechanics. Now the overall theme still makes sense, but you know, I would say some of the later episodes follow more in line with the current iteration of my kind of main trading system. Yeah. And it, it got, I, I realized it got confusing. So I actually made a FAQ tab at trade busters and Episode 37 for now, I call that, I I call that unofficially the season one wrap up and review, which Mm kind of give a general guidance of where the direction of everything is. So that's actually what I tell people to start listening to first, read the FAQ, 
episode 37. At some point, if there's a, another big shift, I'll, I'll probably do like another kind of update. But 37 is the one to kind of get a general idea of like, it's kind of like the where do I start, right? Tasty Tree has the where do I start series. That's kind of the where do I start episode. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. Welcome to the world of uh, content creation because I, you know, I've had my YouTube channel for a few years and there, yet, you know, there, there is an evolution of my trading and right. that I focus on indicators or timeframes. And, you know, as your, as your life changes, um, you know, your strategies are going to change and you may narrow down. You may try new things. I mentioned before we hopped on this call, I mentioned, you know, I'm, I'm starting to explore options flow a little bit and try to find some, a, a, if I can, if I can find a process that I can follow, then I'll be putting out content on options flow. But I think something, you know, just from a general content for someone who consumes content like podcasts, YouTube, TikTok, or whatever, I, I think it's important to look at the age of some of these videos and, and right. podcasts and things, because um, I know some people will, and they, they don't mean it in, in a mean way, but they might see conflicting information where I, I might put out a study or a research a year ago that said, Hey, I'm using these moving averages and I'm trading like this. And then, you know, what I do is I, I kind of go back through and redo my back testing and find, and sometimes I fine tune, maybe change a little bit, or maybe I drop, I've dropped things completely because I found something better or something that may, that's maybe easier to execute. So then I say, okay, here's the one I'm doing now, but the, the old one is still there. And it's not really that it negates sometimes the old strategy. It's just, I've changed. I'm now doing this. So I think it's good for people to, when they, when they listen to things and watch videos that they kind of look at that time, uh, timestamp of when that was posted and just kind of keep that in the back of their head. And, and if they're going to follow, follow someone. So real quick, in case the listeners haven't heard of you before, I mean, a lot of people in the, in the options world have, at least on the retail side through tasty trade, you were a rising star for a while. Uh, or not for a while, for a couple episodes, and you got your own podcast now. Um, just give me a, a super quick overview of your trading style. Um, are you still trading indexes? Have you branched out a little bit? Um, just to kind of give the, the listeners a little bit of where you're coming from. Yeah, um, still trading only indexes, so SPY, SPX. And last time we spoke, I was doing kind of a a mix of different DTEs, um, two to three, seven, 45, zero. I still do zero DTE, but um, the one that my podcast mainly is about and the one I share openly, um, which is now branded the, the, the Trinity system because it's kind of three components. The main one, which is the Theta engine, which is actually just the evolution of what was the 45 DTE strategy. And so I'm trading, now it's out of 90 DTE. It doesn't have to be, but just for various reasons, people in the podcast will know there's there's pros and cons, but we're doing 90 DTE, systematic selling of puts. And now actually I've moved up from five to 15 Delta. So the Delta is a little higher. Oh, Not an ankle biter. I'm wow. the, the knee, knee biter now. So, wow, so you're getting um, there. <laughs> getting there. Um, but still systematic. Mm. Um, we're still using, we use a profit take. We have a stop loss. The mechanics are pretty much in stone. Um, what will change based on Delta is kind of the number of contracts. Um, you know, I did something called credit targeting, which I try to collect the same amount of credit each time. So you adjust the, the contract size to some degree, the Delta, but it's, it's very mechanical. Um, and that, that hasn't changed. It's just sort of the, the parameters have changed a bit, just based on the research, kind of fine tuning some of the, the behaviors of the options and the strategy. Very cool. So that's interesting. You went from four, I mean, I'm probably still doing 45, but that you're actually going out 90. I, I do a lot of um, 60 
day stuff. So I'm curious with, with 90 day, I know, are you doing weekly? And I'm probably talking about more SPX than anything uh, with weekly options on 90 day. Are you, or are those monthlies? Those would have to be monthlies, right? Either one closest to 90. And, and so to clarify, I've consolidated everything, the two to three, the seven, that's all gone. I'm just doing and for the long data ones, just the 90. And we're going out closest to 90. Now, depending on the product you trade, because it's all going to be SPX is the underlying could be SPX, SPY, E-mini or MES. Um, But depending on the product, you have different availability of strikes because they don't all publish at the same time. SPX has the most plentiful, um, but we're going closest to 90. So sometimes it's depending on what's out there. It could be 100. You're trading that one for a a little while until it drops down to like 90 or 85. Then the next one comes out. But closest to 90 is what we target. Gotcha. And how's the liquidity that far out? Are you are you sticking to like quarter strikes or anything? I know you're trying to not not necessarily. I mean, if you're doing like one, honestly, anything under a fifty lot probably is fine. And like, it's not like many people are going to be trading fifty lots of SPX, for example. <laughs> SPY, yeah. no question, yeah. no question. The liquidity is there because right. I mean, there's market makers that fail you. It's not you're not waiting for a single retail person to match up. Yeah. And I, I know like typically, especially with Tasty Trade or people who are new, they say, look at the volume, look at the open interest. Mm-hmm. Generally, that's true if you're dealing with individual symbols or illiquid underlines. But SPY, SPX, it's not a problem. Like right. just, just go for it. It's fine. Yeah. Interesting. And so are you doing the call side at all? Or are you still mainly? Nope. Still, it just, still just puts. Yeah. Right. Awesome. So you're doing zero DTE, but you've, you've gotten rid of like two, three, seven day. Why is that, do you think? Um, I figured that essentially because we're trading with stops, um, we want to control the losses to the degree possible. Mm-hmm. And with two to three and seven gaps happen yeah. and you can't always contain that. Even with the 90 days, as slow as it moves, like if you guys, people look at my log, obviously this last week was not good. So we had a number of stops. Some of them were right at two X. Some of them were open at 2.3, 2.4, 2.5, which, which is fine, right? It happens. But with seven, you know, with the shorter durations, you're, you're, you're just naturally going to be closer to the money for that same amount of credit. And yes, it doesn't happen a lot, but when it does, your loss multiple can really go kind of crazy. Um, because now even with the 90 days, we, we do like a black swan hedge just in case, right? The, you you yeah. really never expect that to come in and play, but that's just for like some kind of crisis and hopefully it never happens. But you can't really even do that with the shorter durations because, you know, if if it blows up, it's just going to go full in the money. Like, and the only way to pro- properly protect that if you want to is just to pay something really high price, right? You can't, you can't properly set up a black swan hedge with those shorter durations. Thank you for saying that because I've had the same issue of trying to find short-term hedges that are not that are mechanical. Um, there are, there are some things I think you can do if you're really watching the market on smaller time frames, which I'm, I'm assuming you're just kind of sticking to daily charts. Um, so, and and you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna just keep asking you questions about the strategy. Yeah. I'm interested in 90 day. Um, so, what are you just opening new spreads every day? Are you waiting? Or I'm sorry, are you opening new uh, puts on a daily basis? Are you just waiting for down days or vol spikes or what's your sort of entry mechanism, I guess? So personally, I'm entering every day and the frequency uh, ideally is every day. Now, depending on the account size and the credit target you're trying to do, mm-hmm. it may not kind of fit the mold of that option because 
ours is very rigid. It's like 15 Delta, you need to hit a certain amount of uh, credit. But if your account's too small and it kind of doesn't fit that product size, you can enter less frequently because when you enter less frequently, that kind of boosts the amount of credit you receive on any one entry. So if you're if you're entering five times a week, you might be collecting $200 every day. But if you're entering twice a week, you might be collecting $500 each time, right? So you can, you can fine tune that, but entering every day for me, and I've spoken about this before, just kind of smooths out the... Um, it smooths out the overall volatility because you get an entry every day and you're not trying to catch the market, not trying to time it. Right. And I think we've spoken about this before. Like, yes, you can try to apply some kind of filter using moving average or VIX level or whatever it is to try and enter on down days. I'm not saying that necessarily won't work because obviously it can, mm-hmm. but for me, it's hard to have conviction because whenever I try something extra, it usually just doesn't work. So it's just easier to yeah. just enter every day and just let the probabilities play out. Yeah, that that's interesting. The VIX, I get, I get asked um, about that a lot. Like, hey, the VIX is, where is it at when I'm, it's, it's probably like, like 30 something still, yeah, it was 30 yeah, something it's, yesterday. It's, it's it went down today. Yeah, 29 bit. right now. 29, yeah. We have the Fed announcement this afternoon. We, I think, I think the VIX saw, um, what was the high recently? Oh, it's an hourly chart. It's definitely over 30. 30 yesterday, it was like, yeah. 38 or something uh, a couple of days ago, but um, so, uh, yeah, people, people ask, well, Hey, if, if the VIX is below 20, do you do something different when the VIX is above 20 or anything like that? Do you, so you don't really use the VIX as a factor. Well, hearing, or? um, so I, I've talked about this before in the sense that it's baked in because when VIX is high, IV is high, mm-hmm. you're going to get more credit for the same Delta for the same number of contracts, right? But because we do what I call credit targeting, I'll use a round number, for example, let's say I'm trying to collect thousand dollars vix is sky high i might be able to sell one contract of spy for 10 bucks i'm dependent on delta and dte right so that's one contract needed but if vix is low and that same delta same dt is now five bucks i might need to sell two contracts so because i'm trying to hit a, a, a consistent target that naturally makes me change the entry parameters in this case the delta or the contract size to fit that target so the, the entry mechanic itself naturally adjusts to the volatility level. So that's kind of how I see it. Right. So you're, so if you're targeting um, Delta 15 and uh, that, that Delta 15 credit will change with VIX. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The, so, and so will the, um, the distance, right? The distance. So, so will the distance. Yeah. So all of those things are just inherent and baked into the market. So I don't pick a distance. I don't pick, you know, whatever. The only thing, for my setups, I'm trying to get close to 15 Delta, close to 90 DTE. Within that, I adjust the contract size to hit my credit target, which is predicated on the size of return I'm targeting and my account size and everything. Right. So in turn, that would that would change the capital efficiency a little bit because a, a little bit. You so need like one or two more contracts. Yeah. Correct. Target. Correct. That yeah. Okay. That's just that's this comes with the territory. Because right. again, obviously, if you're using half the contract size, you're using half more or less have to buy in power. Oh, speaking of which, that is one reason I moved up to 15 Delta because 15 Delta, you're collecting about three times the credit of five Delta. Mm-hmm. So I'm using one third the leverage as before to hit the same amount of credit, which is, right. Okay. I mean, you don't think about that. It, it makes a big difference. And normally it doesn't because ordinarily the market's not doing that much. You know, either one's going to get stopped out, hit the profit target. You're not thinking about the unit risk, but if things go bad, big gaps, you don't want to be on the on the back end of 
three lots of a five Delta. Cause remember you're basically selling someone else's insurance, right? So those things blow yeah. up fast. Right. So that's something I've kind of learned and realized, which is part of the reason of moving to 15 Delta or just moving up Delta in general. Gotcha. That makes sense. Um, yeah, my, my, my hedges for my 60 DTE, we, we sell about 15 Delta as well. Um, 60 mm-hmm. DTE, but my hedges around five Delta. Okay. Um, now what's interesting is with the pullback right now, 10%, the head, a couple of the hedges that are longer dated are, are starting to perk up just a little bit Yeah. enough to where, um, now I haven't really gone below where my strikes for my 15 deltas were actually one, it right. reached, but I, you know, with this bounce, um, actually as back up. So I, I'm in a, you know, precarious spot of if the market rallies back up, great, you know, kumbaya, yeah. everything's fine. Uh, but if the market spikes lower and we have the Fed announcements this afternoon, I mean, things are looking good right now. Microsoft's up 4%. I still think the Fed could, um, you know, uh, th- that thing could be a catalyst for another move lower. Maybe we get to 4,000. At that point, my my hedges would really perk up some more. Right. And I might ha- have to consider taking profits. Um, and then hopefully a snapback would happen and get back above my short strike. So that's kind of how I'm uh, managing my longer dated stuff. But um, what I wanted to kind of uh, maybe have you elaborate on is your black swan hedge. Are you still buying from from what I remember last time you were buying like 120 day out of the money? Oh, Vicks yeah. Calls? So that, that was the big call ladder. Call? I switched to long puts on SPX. Um, it's the same kind of idea. Mm-hmm. It's a tail hedge. But uh, with portfolio margin, the, the long puts on SPX is I'm trading shorts on SPX. That gives you a direct margin benefit. With the VIX calls, you can still get some margin relief, but that won't really kick in unless there is like a huge black swan and your call options themselves blow up in value. Mm-hmm. So that, that profit offsets the, the BP. But with the long puts, now I trade and I think of my strategy as selling naked, but technically when you buy longs, you're, you're essentially forming a spread. And I'm actually doing a back ratio. So for every short, I'm buying two longs further out of the money. Um, so it does have the benefit of capping the BP. Um, okay. And I'm buying the two to one ratio is to create that convexity. So if there's a huge event, yes, they're out of the money. Uh, the longs are further out of the money. So it's not a Delta hedge. It's more of a Vega hedge. So if that Vega expansion happens, you want the convexity of those two longs to pick up and start offsetting the losses from the shorts. But again, they're pretty far out. So it's not meant to even a 10% correction, like I said, perk up. Yes, they perked up, but yeah. no way did they offset most of the losses. In fact, yeah. I designed it specifically to not offset all the losses because if you're trying to offset all the losses, you're just going to pay more, right? I only mm-hmm. put something in place to limit the loss to something acceptable. Like, you know, if there was a huge, you know, they call it a nuke event, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want to blow up 30X, right? I want to limit the loss to like, seven or eight X. Obviously that's really bad because normally I want two X, but seven X is, and obviously you still have to size the trade where, okay, I can survive a seven X. And that's because the markets, you know, (laughs) that's a nuclear catastrophe. So, okay, if I lose 20%, maybe it's, it's reasonable. Right. Right. But I'm not trying to like, okay, we had a correction. I'm not trying to negate all losses. We hit our soft, lost a bunch in the kind of correction, but that's all part of the plan. Right. So the hedge itself wasn't really meant to pick that up. It wasn't a black swan. We did not have a black swan. Right. Let's put it that way. Right. And the and the black and 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 I'm hoping you kind of agree with this. When we talk about black swan, or at least when I I should say this, when I think about black swan, it's a surprise. It goes much faster and farther 
than we ever thought. Like, right. and I want, I'm going I'm to kind of say COVID was, I think about the closest thing I've seen since I've been trading Sure, where you, the market was down 30, 40, maybe 50% somewhere in there in like six, eight weeks, two months, something like that. That is when these hedges would really kind of shine. And that's what my back test showed was, and kind of why I geared my stuff towards that was the COVID. But when you think about like a 2008 financial crisis, I don't think that that's a black swan. That is something that lasts a year. And and yes, the, during that uh, 2008, the GFC, we the market went down, I want to say 30 or 40%, but it took more like a year or so for that to really happen. And so do you, do you see it like that? Do you see Black Swan as more like you just wake up and like you said, the nuke event happens or, or, you know, and and this will kind of lead into our next kind of discussion about the current environment of rate hiking and how that could, you know, spoil some of the upside. Um, Do you see that as the same thing or how do you, how do you differentiate that black swan versus a bear market, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I think 2008, I mean, yes, it was a bear market and I guess it was also a black swan in a sense that I don't think we've seen like a, cause 2008 to 2009 had a total drawdown of like 50 or 60%. So yeah. we haven't really seen that that frequently. So in, in the statistical sense, it is a black swan, but what I'm trying to protect against is a black swan in terms of not being able to reasonably control the risk. So like you said, if it went down 50% in three months, well, you know, the first round of entries got hit with a stop, but VIX is high. Probably the second round of entries might not even have been stopped because VIX is so high, the entries were so far, or if they got stopped out, it was still reasonably controlled, right? right. The Black Swan hedge is to control something that you can't account for, a massive gap, something where you can't reasonably, your stops don't work, right? Because your stops or whatever your risk mani- like your, your risk management plan, that should be your first line of defense. The black swan hedge is the second line. That's the emergency one, right? You don't want to rely on that unless you have to, and you're forced to. But your your primary, you should have something else as a primary line of defense. Your black swan hedge should not be your primary line of defense. Good point. So let's talk about the kind of current market. Um, you you mentioned before, and it's kind of same for me. We ended the year on a high, and right. um, you know I think the Fed is been pretty consistent with this message and the data is there. And so they're talking about rate hikes. Um, we're, we're in the middle of a, a 10% correction. And, um, you know, is there anything you think, you know, and obviously this is going to change, but do you see you changing your strategy very much, you know, from last year to this year? Um, just given, I know, you know, you don't want to base your whole year off this particular month, but, um, do you see any changes like a regime, a regime change, you know, with, with what your strategies, how, how they work? I, I see a regime change in the market, but I don't see a change in terms of the actual mechanics, uh, again, because there are some aspects of the strategy that are baked in, now, as I mentioned about it adapts to volatility and the adjusting and everything, but the actual mechanics, at least for now, you know, daily 15 delta, 60 D, uh, 90 DTE, put on a stop loss profit take. That's for now, unless the research, and we are always updating research, unless there's something compelling to change that, not really. But I do see like, at, as far as the market, I don't, I don't think we're going to see some kind of V recovery like we did in 2020, right? right. And I don't think this time we're going to all of a sudden go back to all-time highs again, at least not right away. Um, yeah. That's that's what it feels like. It feels maybe a little different this time. Yeah, and yeah, I, I'm thinking we're entering more 
um, and I've, I've mentioned this to, you know, some of my groups and things, uh, more of a range bound market because, you know, earnings and things are, are doing well and the economy is okay. Um, I, you know, I'm not a, a huge macro guy, but I, I get sucked in some of the macro stories and, you know, a lot of the inflation that's happening right now has a lot to do with the supply as a, as opposed to uh, demand. So when, when trucks can't get through or shipping containers don't, you know, all that stuff, when the, the supply shortage, and I think that's still COVID related, you know, with workers and things like that. So if they, if they raise rates according to how they say they're going to do it and, and they don't have to do more than three or four this year, I think ultimately the market's going to find a floor. Now, I don't know if that's going to be at 4,000 right now we're trading at 4,300 ish um, or first oh, 4,402. What do you know? Okay. Um, so, you know, but I think we probably stay kind of range bound. So, you know, just from a high level view, you know, if we can stay above from 4,000 to 5,000 in that range, I think that that's pretty doable. So in that case, the the doomsday hedges probably won't be needed, you know? In, right. In theory. right. So um, the, the one thing I'm worried about though, is when we start approaching those highs again, um, now you're selling Delta, you know, you're selling farther out, but again, like those shorter dated spreads, two, seven, 30, I would be kind of, I'm hesitant to put those on at highs because I just got smacked on the hand for it for last month when I was right. training my plan. And like you said, when the, when the trend ends, you always end up with those losses on the first pullback, right? So right. now we're kind of um, in the middle of that. So I'm, I'm just kind of um, wondering, thinking about if there's any changes I need to make to my strategy. So, um, you know, it's kind of a, I, I, we, we always talk about this when we're, when we're experiencing losses, like, I, should I change anything? Should I do anything? But it sounds like you're, you're trading far enough away and far enough out in time that and you have your risk in place that, like you said, the mechanics probably won't change for you. Yeah. With the shorter data stuff, really, you just have to look at VIX and how close you are to the money. Like those strategies work actually very well in high VIX because with the short duration, data is high, Vega risk is low. The really only risk is the gamma, right? So if you're further enough from the money, you can sort of dodge that. Even with the big, if you're 5% out of the money with a 4% gap, you're fine, right? Yeah. But if VIX was like in the 10 handle and you have like, you know, you're, you're, you're 1% out of the money and we gap 2%, you're dead. Right. So yeah. I think um, if we do start heading close to the kind of the higher range again, and VIX is still in like the twenties, you might be okay. Cause you can probably get, pre- I've seen like the one DTE be like five or 6% out of the money for a five Delta. I mean, that's the kind of stuff I usually trade, but now it's like, I don't know that I mean, now it might be fine, but when VIX was like back in the 15s and in the teens again, it started being a little not worth that that risk. Because if you trade really small, well, you, you can always trade very small, but you don't necessarily make that much. If you trade too big, then it just it hurts too much when it, when it, when it gets yeah. smacked. So I guess keep an eye on volatility. If, if we can get back closer to those high levels and, and VIX is still 20s, 25s, and you, you feel like it's a good distance, it, it's really just that you're, you're gambling with that gamma the gamma risk. That's the main thing. Right. Interesting. Yeah. We'll have to see how um, the market reacts today. I mean, I'm kind of glad to see the, the bounce um, that we're seeing after some tech earnings, but uh, you know, as, as we're doing this, SPX is up 1% ahead of the fed. And so we're probably maybe still nine, I don't know, uh, nine or 10% down uh, or so from, from the recent highs. I think the high was around 4,800 or so. 
so that'll be that'll be interesting. The VIX is still hanging around around 30. So so this afternoon's going to be kind of interesting, which is why I wanted to get this in because I, I wanted I, I wanted it to kind of talk to you because um, I think you know if we do experience a big move, you know we, we've kind of talked through, or at least for me, I've talked through what you know, I might do, and it's good to hear what you're doing. So, um, so is there, what else are you working on? I know, um, you know, you're, you're running your fund, you're just continuing to research and adjust strategy. Yeah. Continuing kind of research and adjust. We've, yeah. um, last time we spoke, we were, I was using E-Delta uh, and there's some limitations with that. The, the mm-hmm. process was slow because, you know, they, I had to get the raw data log from them, but because E-Delta is sort of a fixed one lot test, one contract each, each entry. Yeah. And I told you about my dynamic sizing. I'd have to kind of post-process that log to, to match the, my mechanics. Right. Um, but now we've built our own backtest engine. Um, the problem is we got the engine built, but we found out the data is too big because we're using the minute data and it's mm-hmm. so slow. So we had to kind of redo the architecture of the test. I actually just got a two terabyte solid state drive so I can put all the data and hopefully speed the test up. So we, we're literally having a bottleneck. It's just like the big data issues. Yeah. Um, but I'm trying to refine. And now that I have that custom test, I can run, you know, the good thing about E-Delta is like you can do a bunch of stuff like different profit take, different stop loss, different DT, whatever. But again, it wasn't custom to the output of my mechanics. So I had, there was a bottleneck in between of getting from their output to the output I wanted. Now mm-hmm. I've, sidestep that because we've made our own engine now the bottleneck is just the speed of the test so I'm, I'm excited to hopefully in the next month put out a lot of updated research that's more oh, comprehensive and more accurate that that's kind of the big thing we're working on right now very cool yeah um my my buddy lee spaziano he was on one of the episodes we basically did the same thing we were kind of wanting the intraday data for zero dte really right. to try to capture stops and targets um, because you, you know, with E-Delta Pro, you really, it's, it's more end of day data. Yeah. And I, some of this, I, they have something where they, cause like when you, when you buy your data, um, you're buying one minute data, it'll, or, or so let's say you buy daily data. I think a lot of times it'll include high and low right. of those prices as well. But, um, so that can help a little bit, but, um, but we also have the one minute data and I'm actually, um, I need to go purchase the next lot. I basically buy every six months. We'll yeah, we just refresh. So we, we just, we're, we have 2021 data now. So yeah. Yeah. So I got to buy the rest of 2021 and then we're going to put it in there and we're going to um, we're, we're doing, we're still doing some shorter term stuff with, with that data um, and trying to factor in some um, technical analysis to see if there's any edge uh, for that. That and that's a little bit difficult trying to code that yourself. Lee does all the coding, so um, we just had a conversation this week about it. But we're going to try some one-minute data, one-minute, you know, quote-unquote indicators for zero DTE, one TD, one DTE stuff like that, just to see if there's any edge there. Because I, I do think this is going to be a two-sided market. I, I think there's going to be opportunities to play both sides. Where the past few years, it's just like, you know, it's been tough playing the call side, which which is why I ended up mainly train the put side. It's just easier because things go up more. Yeah. Um, so I, but, but I do think there'll be some opportunities to play the short side, um, not really at the lows, but again, if range bound, if the market is range bound over the next, um, you know, several months or whatever, I think there's some opportunities there. 
Yeah, range bound would be good. Hopefully not like thousand point range though, because if we go to the top and thousand point down, it's gonna knock a bunch of positions out again. But again, yeah. it depends on IV. If we go to the very top, but IV is still pretty high, you get some resiliency because you're further from the money. You got a tendency for the IV contraction, so you could survive. You know, five, six, seven percent on a ninety DT and probably not even hit your stop. Yeah, uh, depending on what the entry volatility was. It's the expansion that kind of hurts you more. Um, with the 90 DT, you know, you do the 60 because the gamma is low. The gamma is even lower at, at 90, obviously. So it's it's the Vega that you got to watch out for. What? So back to that. If you're selling naked puts at 90 DTE, Delta 15 area, um, what's what's your trade duration look like? Is it a couple of weeks or 26.4 days on average? There you go. To hit 60% profit or a 2x stop. 2x stop meaning 3x credit, but a 2x net loss, 200% stop loss of the credit, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. I was thinking, cause yeah. Cause if you can, if you can get out before the 60 day mark, you're really definitely yeah. Um, minimizing some stuff. I, I, I know um, the, the Delta, the 60 DT stuff, the average, at least in the back testing, and I've kind of seen it like this is, is about 30 days. Um but now I'm doing spread. So those can take a little longer. That's yeah. I was about to say that's probably why because you know um, because of that. So that, that that's in line with, with what I would, what I would think, but, um, but with volatility picking up, I'm actually in those trades longer because um, underwater on some, yeah, not, but hopefully now not under price water, but under, you know, if you're still putting some on now, hopefully if we get some kind of contraction, you get a few bonus ones where you get out in like a week or something. That's, that's the whole, yeah. I've actually had some clothes that were earlier dated, you know, where they, they, they hit a lot sooner. You get a nice, you know, 200 point rally, boom, 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 everything hits. And then, and then you enter and then I'm okay. Now I'm underwater in a handful of them. But one, one thing that um, I did do kind of heading into this year, because I was kind of following some of the macro stuff is I did increase my ratio of the spreads versus the hedge. So before I was, I would for every, uh, I, I mean, I open weekly spreads, mm-hmm. I open them each week, try to open them on Fridays, but we've been alternating a little bit, but I would buy one monthly hedge. And that one monthly hedge is twenty is, is a wider spread. So it was a 25 point wide put spread, de- a debit spread. Right. And then my put spreads are 10 wide. My put credit spreads are 10 wide. So in theory, you might have four um, 10 wide put spreads, put credit spreads on for one monthly hedge. And there, so it, it's, it's a little bit different. But so what I, well, I was doing two to one where I would sell twice as many put credit spreads as I was the hedges. Okay. Which is actually sounds a little bit opposite of yours. You're buying two hedges per. Uh, yeah, but yours are spread, so it's different, right? It, it is different, yeah. yeah. So, but one thing I did do because the market still seemed pretty bullish is I was doing two to one, and I switched probably late last year, November, December, when I started buying my um, 120 day put put spreads. I I started buying more ratio okay. wise. So if um, you know if they do if they as they do start to perk up and we do flush another five percent or so that'll that'll help out with um, right. some of those um, things so that that's I guess one thing that I was kind of like anticipating but again a 10 percent move isn't the he- those hedges don't particularly help all that much it's really the the full flush that yeah um, and you know I'm not really foreseeing that but like you said you want to have something in place. So are your hedges 120 days if you're doing 90 day? No, they're actually 60. 
Um, and that because uh, with the shorter duration, you can get closer to the money. And 60 DTE still has some power. And you know, I mentioned that 26.4 days in trade of the 90s, which means when I get out of the 90s, the 60s are still at 30. So they still retain some of that power. Once they get to 30 mm. or under, they, they start falling off very quickly. So that's also kind of designed so that it's a little cheaper. You can get closer to the money. <laughs> And uh, it takes advantage of a concept called weighted Vega, which you can look up the video later. But uh, the idea is shorter data options actually have a little more sensitivity to Vega Mm -hmm. than the platform would show. Um, It has to do with the DTE. So it kind of takes advantage of that. Closer to money, 60 days have a little bit more sensitivity to Vega than the the further dated ones. Um, Interesting. So yeah, it's it's all kind of designed to to just provide that that minimal survivability protection but at a minimal cost that's that's right. kind of the idea because you yeah, know that makes sense i mean you're, you're going to get more more credit for a 90 days option than a 60 day so your 60 days will that, be that too yeah yeah and right. um that that's interesting um yeah i i'm, I'm just kind of going through mine my hedges are actually i'm still following that kind of 120 day like relatively unit puts like they're just there in case something happens you know are you because they're thir- they're 60 day are you are you using any stop losses on the hedges or profit so, targets on the hedges no, they're, they're they're tied so I, I i basically think of them as rented insurance okay. they're tied to the shorts we we do a conditional order where when the short exits either profit take or stop loss the the long ex- exits at, as a package or the, mm-hmm. the two longs exit as a package so, okay, so you're, you're um, using those as a single, single position for the lack of a better I, word. I, I, I kind of cons I consider them a it's I, a, it's a combo trade, you know. Okay. And um, for people who listen to podcasts and want to follow, you know, the the short is the theta engine. That's sort of the, the income generation piece. And then I call the longs. That's called the bomb shelter. And it's an optional black swan hedge. You can use it with the theta engine. You don't have to use it, but if you use it, it's meant to be a combo trade. And it's designed specifically to protect. The data engine. So each short has two longs. Each short has two longs. When one comes off, the other comes off, and, and they work as a package. Yeah, I I'm gonna have to go back and listen to your episodes because I know you you have a couple podcast episodes yeah. about Let's, that. Listen to 37, and that will yeah. kind of give you like a, a over overview. 37, 37. Yes. Okay. It's I'm called go season one wrap up and review. Okay. And then the Trade Busters page there's an there's literally a tab called FAQ that walks through kind of a overarching like what exactly is trinity what are you doing yeah and it even has a bullet point of like which episodes to listen to to get different concepts yeah and for so for you know read you know i'm i don't i don't consider you um a standard retail trader anymore um i think sure. you're, you've graduated you know and I think I'm, I, you know, I'm heading down that path as well. I, st- I still see myself as a retail trader, even though I, I do trade full time. Um, I, I still, I don't know. I don't. It's kind of a dumb word. What is retail? Uh, but, <laughs> but um, you know, with so for for retail traders, do you think SPY when when they if, if they go and listen to your podcast and view your information, do you just think SPY is the best place to start? For, no, for the, mo- most people won't have the account size. Actually, it was somebody in the Facebook group uh-huh. who started nagging me about, Hey, can we do this with MES micro ES futures? And uh-huh. I was not that I didn't think it could work, but it was just not on my radar because I didn't need to trade that small. So mm-hmm. I had an episode that hit that was called, and this was before the, the branding of Trinity system and that whole naming convention, but it was like, you know, I had the 45 DT strategy. Then I had the 45 plus 
because I was trying to push it out. Like I, I, I literally call it 45 plus because I was pushing that DTE out. And then I had an episode that dropped that said 45 plus for small accounts with MES. When that episode dropped, the viewership exploded. The following exploded. Everyone who was essentially on the other side that liked my style but couldn't emulate it. Right. Everyone got included now. So, yeah. well, and, and, that, and I yeah. think, I think that's, I think I'm in that boat too, where I, I could probably emulate it, but th- that would be the only thing I did. Right. 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 And so yeah. I, it's like, do I, I, do I want to go all in on something, you know, and there's paper trading and I just, you know, no, I, I get I it. I totally that, get so. it. Yeah. So the, the viewership the engagement, all of that exploded after that essentially unlocked mm-hmm. the ability for you know, and because I've run a Discord group now for the the podcast, and there's somebody in there, and I call him the uh, my small account hero. He runs it with like a six thousand dollar account or something like that, or mm. ten thousand, something small. But yeah. I mean, it's it doesn't work as well. It's a little clunkier because you just gotta fit some of the trades in. But he's doing it, you know. So yeah. um, so MES, yeah, that's probably the best place to if you want to kind of experiment and get in there. Yeah, yeah. But okay. you still got to trade small. I mean, unfortunately, with yeah. the last pullback, there was a number of people who I think thought they were trading strategy, but they weren't really because they were they 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 thought the entire strategy was you know sell fifteen delta puts, um, ninety dt and just have at it right. But the the actual piece that ties it all together, um, I have something called the risk calculator, which is a, it's a tool. It's it's on the data engine page. You can use it to size your trade, figure out the number of um entries you to do, how frequently it gives you an, using those historical statistics, like that 26.4 days, it gives you an estimate of on average, how many open positions you'll have, which translates to what we call the level one risk is like, if you had a, a total wipe where everything got stopped, what would be your loss as a percent of the account? You know, and, and that's all there as a guide, mm-hmm. but unfortunately, and you know, I get it. My stuff is not very organized. Some people just don't realize it's there. So m- people who were too big and maybe had a, a huge loss weren't necessarily following that guidance or weren't yeah. aware that tool was there as a, in a, it's a measuring stick for you to figure out how big should you actually be trading, right? Because it's not just about selling puts. It's about the sizing. It's about figuring out the credit yeah. targeting, the number of entries and all that. Yeah. I think a lot of people do get caught up in the mechanics and not realize the risk they're taking, even with spreads, everything's leveraged, right? Every, you can right. always lose more than you can make in, in most option cases, you know, or at least as sellers. And um, so that's, that's a good point. Um, we're going to wrap up soon. I want to, I want to, I haven't listened to it yet, but I wanted to get your quick take on it. Your last episode was called it works until it doesn't, doesn't it? Can you give me a quick, a quick uh, overview of what, of what that episode's about? Yeah. It's, Everyone's heard that, right? And whenever things are going well, no one says anything. And then that doesn't matter who it is, what the strategy is. When things go bad, everyone just says it works until it doesn't, right? It doesn't matter what the strategy, that, that's just the automatic saying, right? And that's mm-hmm. kind of true. But my take on it was more things work better until they work not as well. Meaning a strategy that's supposed to have long-term expectancy, you know, if you just run it, it should work out. Obviously, nothing is going to work perfectly in all environments. Some strategies work really good in some environments. They work not so well in other environments, but it doesn't necessarily mean you should stop because you don't know when the environment that suits the strategy is going to come out, right? Mm -hmm. So the idea is you want to run at a size 
that lets you go through the ups and the downs, right? The only time a strategy works until it doesn't is when you trade too large. That when the music stops, you're gone, right? You blew up and you can't continue, right? So <laughs> that's the sort of the nuance that I was trying to inject, and in that my take on that saying. That's what the episode's about. Gotcha. But um, well, hey man, I really appreciate appreciate you jumping on with me so quick. Um, I know I think I messaged you yesterday or the day <laughs> before. Days ago. We're like, yeah. like, yeah. hey, can you get on? You're like, how about you know? We so you know, I appreciate you jumping on. I definitely recommend all my listeners go check out the Trade Busters. Um, definitely check out episode 37. That's the where I'm going to be jumping in um, to kind of get caught up. And um, yeah, man, I congratulations and on the podcast and the the training page. And I might have to jump over on your Discord at some point. Yeah, appreciate it, and uh, see all the work you're doing too. And uh, appreciate all all the support and education. So likewise. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, David. I'll talk to you later. All right. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Stock Market Options Trading Podcast. To join our community of options traders, head on over to patreon.com forward slash vertical spread options trading for details. But before you go, you should know that everything discussed on this podcast and in this episode is for informational purposes only and should not be considered financial advice of any kind.